Hi, welcome back to the Port to Port podcast. This is episode five, and today's episode we have the pleasure of interviewing Thomas Voideman. Thomas is the CEO of Lawrence and Cosan out in Copenhagen. In this episode, we discuss a range of things from the, the life decisions that he's made that he feels are responsible to, to get him to the way he is today, some of the challenges along the way, and also what he believes it takes to, to build a great team. I hope you enjoy the podcast, and here he is. Hi, Thomas. Thank you for joining us. Um, obviously, I've just done a, a, an intro there, um, but I'm not going to do you justice. There's not a chance in hell I'll be able to do you justice. So if you don't mind, if you can introduce yourself and tell us a bit about you. Of course. My name is uh, Thomas Vardiman. I am the CEO of uh, a Danish gas company called Lars & Cosine, where I've been for the past uh, now 18 years. I have about uh, 20, 25 years of experience uh, in shipping. Most of the time in Denmark, but also with a small stint in the United States, in Houston, to be more exact, where I worked as a ship broker. And then I had four years in uh, in Hong Kong working for a joint venture company out there. Um, I have a wife, which is Irish, and I have a little daughter, which is 12 years old. Awesome, awesome. Well, again, thanks thanks for joining us. It's uh, great, to, great to have you on. Um, one of the things... Trying to obviously with yourself, what we're looking to try and do is is to gain a wee bit more insight into into the the person and the people and what it takes to get. So obviously CEO of, of a company that owns, I believe, is it thirty eight um, carrier yeah, gas carriers? Thirty eight, is it? Yeah, yeah. So it's no small feat. But you started back in. We just we just actually I just asked you that back in um, just before we started recording. You started was in nineteen ninety seven. Um, and then I was curious. Obviously, you, when you started in, in shipping, did you did you have an idea of were you were you that ambitious at the time? Did you have an idea of where you where not necessarily get to where you are now? But what what was your thoughts back then? What was what was the the early Thomas like? Uh, so this is the moment of truth, uh, Gordon. I can hear. Um, to be quite honest, uh, when I the reason why I started in shipping was purely by chance. Uh, I finished high school and I I don't have any, I don't have a university degree. Um, I was a bit tired of school when I when I left, and I was sort of figuring out what to do. And my brother's best friend at that time he was working for a shipping company, so he said, "Why don't you?" And he explained to me what that was and traveling, seeing the world. And for me, that sounded awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that time, when I started uh, applying for jobs within shipping. Most of the trainee jobs at that stage was already taken. I was obviously, as always, out too late. Yeah. Uh, but I applied anyway. I applied for about 100 positions, and I got 97 rejections. And there were three companies that actually wanted to, to take me in for an interview. Right. Um, and um, two of them, I actually I got the job. But I just didn't really like the, uh, the way they handled the interview and didn't really like the culture of the company, so I said no. And then... Out of the blue, uh, two weeks after I had rejected the two uh, jobs, uh, one of the companies that I applied for came back to me and said one of their trainees jumped out. Uh, that, he, that he didn't want to take the position. So they asked me into for an interview, and I got the job there um, purely by chance. Um, and at that time, uh, it was a Danish shipping company that was the fourth biggest uh, in Denmark. Obviously, we got AP Muller uh, as, as number one, so it was pretty much a decent-sized company. Uh, with about 100 ships. Right. Uh, so for me, it was a great start. So yeah. into shipping, purely by chance. Right, okay. And was it 2001 that you went to the US? 
Yeah, after the company, unfortunately, uh, went bankrupt where I started as a trainee. Um, I went to the United States um, to work as a shipbroker. Um, and that's the first time ever really leaving Denmark on my own uh, for a longer period. Um, at that time, uh, I was yeah, about uh, still in late 20s. Right. Uh, so for me, it was about time to go out and actually see the world and experience it and being away from my parents for a bit so that my mom didn't have to wash my clothes all the time <laughs> uh, to stand on my own two feet. And, and for me, it was probably still today the greatest experience of my life. Uh, I mean, when people talk about Houston, where I was stationed for about uh, one and a half, two years, it's not the greatest place on earth. But for me, it's still magical. Uh, being on your own, having some fantastic friends over there, and, and also working in a completely different market than just being a ship owner as a ship broker, for me, was a, a fantastic experience. How did it come about? How, how, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big, big move. Did you, did you know you wanted to go? Were you looking for jobs over there? or Not at all. Again, a little bit by chance. Uh, one of the, the owner of the company was Danish. Right. And he had this idea that every two years, he was, uh, we had a, sort of a two-year contract over there. And every two years, he, he would like to get a new Danish person in, uh, preferably Danish. Yeah. Um, and simply by chance that I knew the guy that was working there, he asked, why don't you apply for the job? Um, so we did a, at that time, a phone call, not a Zoom call. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I got the job. So again, it was, but I think that's what I, at least I have taken with me since I started shipping is that the opportunities that I've gotten, maybe except for the first two jobs I said no to, I've taken all the uh, all the opportunities. I've never said no. I've never asked for more money. I pretty much say, you know what? I'll have to show them that I'm capable of doing it and then the money will come afterwards. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny. It's, it's actually, you sound like my dad there saying that. Um, it's one of the things my dad's always said to me since I was, he used to always tell me to try and do things for free first. I was like, right, dad, calm, calm down. But yeah, yeah, no, I get it. True. So you were out there for two years. Obviously, Houston, completely different environment. Um, naturally, completely different environment to, to what you're used to. But do you, and the, the reason why I asked this, we, I lived in uh, WA in Western Australia for a couple of years. And I, I felt as if there was a, and I don't, I obviously don't know what it's like to live in Copenhagen, but I felt as if there was a, um, a mentality that was different out there. I don't, I don't know whether it was because it's a young country or, or whatnot, but it was much more can do. People were supporting you and pushing you. And do you feel as if, or was everything just again taken by chance? But do you feel that your mentality was pushed forward when you were out in Houston? Is there anything like that? Can you can you pinpoint anything or? Well, no. I think for me it was obviously an experience to to get to know a different country. I mean, obviously I've been traveling through my whole childhood, but being on vacation for me is not really learning uh, or getting to know the country. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was a matter of uh, getting to know who I really was. And also, um, for the, I had to buy a car. I had to get a driver's license. Even though I had one in Denmark, you still have to get another one over there. So for me, it was to get to know myself and figure out what I wanted in life. Um, and um, getting to know the Houstonians was, for me, a, a, an eye-opener. I mean, the most friendly people in the world. At least that's how I left Houston. Uh, every time I go back, it's there's still places that I miss a lot uh, because... They were extremely friendly, extremely helpful. And for me, it, uh, I learned to stand on my own two feet and I grew a lot uh, mentally and professionally uh, in those two years. And that's really what I take away from that experience. Yeah, okay. Did you, when you left Houston, did you go 
was that straight to, to Hong Kong then or? No, because the, uh, the, the, uh, the company that I worked for that went bankrupt, they made a joint venture agreement with, uh, with Jay Lowers and the company I work for today. Yeah. So I came back to Copenhagen uh, to work for that joint venture company. Right, okay. And within six months working there, Jay Larsen asked me whether I wanted to go out and work uh, in the joint venture company they had in Hong Kong. Uh, and obviously, again, I just said yes. Uh, yeah. And that was another great experience. Uh, that, were you married then? Did, were you with your wife at that point? No, I uh, actually, by chance, my neighbor in Houston, right. uh, which was a girl, um, uh, she had a friend coming over to visit from, from the UK for about three months. And that's my wife today. Um, so because uh, my neighbor, she worked uh, night shifts at bars. Uh, uh, my now wife, she was at home in the apartment most of the evening. So I took her out for dinner and uh, we did a lot of stuff together. And then we, we started sort of hitting it off. And then she left after the three months. And then we had this long distance relationship for about six months until I came back to Copenhagen. So uh, when I moved to Copenhagen, she moved in with me. Right. But almost immediately we, uh, we moved together to Hong Kong. So Hong Kong was really the first time we ever really lived together. Right, okay. Yeah. For yeah. good and bad, of course. <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh, no comment. No, I'm not yeah. going to say anything. My, my, my wife hasn't, she's, she's not listened to, well, she's listened to part of one, but she's not, but I don't want to, I'm not going to put myself in it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll stay by it. No. so, yeah, I mean, when you went to, you, how long were you out in Hong Kong? Was that? About four years. Four years, right, okay. And, yes. Did, what was your thoughts of Hong Kong? Did you enjoy it? Again, I absolutely loved it. Uh, since, but that was my second sort of uh, second time out. The first one is still the one that matters the most to me. But um, Hong Kong at that time was still very English, uh, and we we loved that part. And it's obviously a city whereby you you get to work fairly early. You leave at nine ten o'clock in the evening and you're not really bothered by it. We didn't have any kids at that time, so we both worked a lot, and then we went out for dinner almost every night because she didn't want to go home at 9, 10 o'clock to, to cook, and it was so cheap to eat out. And then you really experience Hong Kong from, from what it is, yeah. a vibrant, uh, fantastic city with a lot of nationalities everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so it, another great experience. And when you came back, did you... I mean, again, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know Denmark, so um, we've got... A, kind of family friend over there but never actually been but the the change and obviously the freedoms and the, the different um mentalities in different countries was it did you find it hard to adjust when you came back to, to Denmark to or was it just like coming home or did it feel like not coming home or no I think for me the adjustment was tough because uh, of my wife yeah. uh, not being Danish not speaking Danish uh, not having sort of any friends uh, around her in the beginning, uh, that was tough because obviously I came back and I was promoted uh, to a very nice position. So I had a lot of stuff to do at work. Mm -hmm. But obviously her settling in was a lot more difficult. It's, it's a lot easier, I believe, if you have kids, which we didn't at the time. So she was pretty much on her own a lot. And that, that was pretty tough uh, for the both of us, uh, no doubt about that. And But moving back for me, job-wise, was another great experience and a, a big sort of jump for me uh, Position-wise, so that was the reason why we went back. But from a family perspective, it was it was a lot more tough. What, what did you? What was the position you came back to, to do? Uh, I came back to head up uh, the chartering department within uh, Lawson. Right. Okay. Um, and at that time, it consisted of about uh, ten charterers, 
and also head of the operations, which is about, uh, that was about 10 people as well. So it came from being on my own with a partner right. to now suddenly having the, the, the responsibility for about 20 people. Right. And on top of that, I was still reasonably young. And basically all of the, the people reporting to me had maybe 10, 15 years more experience than I have. Right. And that was sort of the, the, the greatest challenge for me to, was to sort of make sure I did not tell them what to do and how to do it because they already knew it. Right. It was to come in with uh, obviously a different mentality and I've seen the world, maybe they hadn't. So we could look at things in a different perspective, but surely not trying to show them how to do things. They knew that already. What do you, when you're saying that there, what do you, how do you do how do you manage that situation? What were you trying to do for them? Were you supporting them or were you trying to, if, I mean, if you don't mind asking, obviously, but how do you how do you manage that when you're saying, obviously, for 10, 15 years more experience? I mean, that's, that's a big, there must have been, there must have been a, at least a couple of people that were maybe annoyed that they'd been overlooked for the job, so. There was, there was. But I think for me, the important part is to, um, they knew exactly what they were doing and they were doing a very, very good job. Um, for me, it was, and I maybe also had the luxury that their, their previous boss was a very different character f- from me. Um, right. So they also needed a change. There was a little bit of, uh, they'd been working together for many, many years. Um, they were very stuck in their own ways and I sort of let them had a little bit more freedom than what they used to. Right. Um, but also, obviously, with experience that I had uh, from working in Houston, with contacts with customers we never had before, also in also in the Far East, uh, taking those contacts with me back, also showed that uh, it was not just because I was very good friends with uh, with my boss. I actually brought back uh, new ideas that they hadn't seen before and they, we hadn't discussed before. Right. Okay. But, but I think the most important thing for them was that it did not go in and sort of change the way they were doing it. Yeah. I sort of implemented ideas on how we could look at it differently, but I never sort of uh, changed their own ways. Um, we did that over time. Yeah, I suppose. I was, I was actually, I met, it's a really random point, but Scotland, so just before, when, while we were recording this, it's a week after Scotland uh, qualified for the first um, Euro, right. Euro tournament. Yeah, we were delighted. Right. Yeah, yeah, I was, I, was a, I was a wee bit tipsy. I was a wee bit tipsy, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, but I met yesterday, I met a player, a footballer that used to play for, for Glasgow Rangers that played underneath the, the Scotland manager. Scotland manager's a guy called Stevie Clark. He used to work with Jose Mourinho. And we were just, it was just a really random chat, but it was more about what it takes to to really kind of get a, get the most out of people. But he was saying, he's just like, he's he's tough and he's strict, but he's, he's very supportive of you. He's yeah. he, it's not a case of, as you say, not trying to come in like a bull in a china shop and change everything and straight off. It's like it's small things over time, but it's all about putting principles in place and then going forward. So it sounds like you're doing the same. It's, it's obviously nice to hear, but I'd imagine it's it's a good foundation for where you've got, got to in your career so far. At what point did you... Sorry, carry on, sorry. No, no, but it was only just following up on what you just said, Gordon. It's, it's, it, for me, it was also a matter of the, the previous management was very much, uh, he made all the decisions and they just basically followed what he was doing. And I have a completely different view on it. Uh, they're the ones that should have all the ideas. They're, they're closer to the customers than I am because I'm sort of management and they are sitting with the customers every day. So for me, it was turning it around saying, why don't you tell me how we should do it? 
Right. And suddenly you could lift them up a bit compared to them just being told what to do. Yeah. And very quickly, I think we realized that that relationship actually worked very well. It doesn't work everywhere, but it worked for us. Yeah, yeah, no, true. It's it's a brave move, but if you've got a good team, then surely they're going to have they're going to have um, the experience, as you say, they did have to to implement their own ideas as well. At what yeah, but point, the, the, sorry, no, please go on. I was just, I was, at what point did you realize that you wanted to to obviously really? Or did you? Or did you just keep saying yes? Did you realise that you wanted to be the top of the tree or go as far as you can? Or was there any point where you're like, I'm pretty happy where I am and I don't really want to push further? Or is that not really you? No, I, I think uh, up until the time when I left Hong Kong, I was extremely happy with what I was doing. I did not have ambition to become CEO of a company. I, I wanted still to see the world. I still wanted to obviously being challenged, but I still felt that uh, working in Houston, working in Hong Kong, also going back to Copenhagen again eventually would still challenge me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I never had that sort of uh, that ladder, that uh, sort of uh, that sort of ambition. That came when I went back to Copenhagen, but only after a year or two years in the role, because what I realized was I moved away from being hands-on uh, chartering I have been dealing with the customers, doing freight rates, fixing ships, until becoming management, where you don't do any of those things. And in the, in the first six months to a year, I really missed it. It was very, very difficult for me to sit in a corner not having any sort of dealings yeah, yeah. On, a, on a day-to-day basis. I still was I was selling ships, I was buying ships, I was doing long-term charm charters and stuff, but I was never doing the day-to-day stuff. And I missed it. So it was only when I sort of realized that it, it is not too bad. Uh, it's it's not the most interesting thing in the world to continue doing the same thing. And after I realized that, then I got a little bit more ambitious. I started educating myself a lot more since I don't have a, as I said, a university degree. It was important for me still to sort of build on my experiences from traveling and also growing in my role. I needed to have some education to back it up. So I started taking business uh, courses uh, that helped me a lot in Growing in my uh, growing in my career, right? Okay, okay, excellent. And then, so when when was that then? So what what time? When, what year are we talking here? Now we're in two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. Right. Okay. And it's, yeah. I mean, as I said, to you, I was looking at your your LinkedIn profile last night, and obviously just kind of going through your your career. It's it was it was almost like a steady every two year promotion type yeah. thing within, and it's. How how did how did it all play out? If I mean there must be there must be a lot of stories in between all of it, so uh, it's a big question. But how how did it all play out for you? Well, I think as I uh, as I'm, for me, obviously for all of us, money matters. Yeah. But for me, it it hasn't come uh, first always. Uh, for me, the the job itself, uh, the or you can say the job scope. The people around me uh, has meant a lot more. If I can see I'm growing professionally, I know the money will come. If my performance lives up to the to the role, I, I was in no doubt about that. I've always, I mean, Laos is a fantastic company to work for. I mean, they look after you. We have great benefits working there. That's also why if you look at our company, a lot of people have been there for, for close to 40 years. Yeah. You, you don't see that anymore. The young people, they change more often, and that's also what they should do. But it's a, it's a great company to work for. And I knew that the company would take care of me if I just uh, had a good performance. Yeah. So, but 
luck is also important, Gordon. Sometimes uh, your boss, he gets a new job or he gets a new role, and if you have done a good performance, then he looks at you. Um, so yeah, a little bit of luck, also good performance, of course, but also making sure that it doesn't help constantly being uh, knocking on the door to your boss's office saying, I, I want more money, I want more of this, I want more of that. Because you know what? A lot of people get tired of it. And that's not how you should grow your career. Have a great performance, stay loyal, and then it will come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's you, you couldn't you couldn't put it any better there. You see that in so many different industries. It just seems to be the way. Also, it's if you've this, you've said luck a few times, but I don't know how much I buy into it. If I'm honest, there's got to be a, a lot more to it than that. And especially, so you, if you've got a good relationship with your boss, and if your boss is obviously good, and your boss is going to be going. Then it's it's that that's maybe not strategic, but it's, there's a different kind of intelligence to, to be part of that and to do that as well. So, but for me as well, education is also money because that's something the companies prepared for you to go out on a very expensive business course, um, and the company's paying for that. So for me, that's also they believe in you, they would like to grow you, and for me, that's uh, actually the same as getting more money. Uh, because that's something you can put on your CV and you can use it later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you go when it when it comes to coming back? And then you was it twenty was it twenty fifteen that you became CEO? Uh, twenty twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Yeah. And then, so you become CEO, um, and I've seen one of the headlines. Um, again last night when I was look, looking this up and it was just like uh, Lawrence's blue eyed boy got <laughs> <laughs> CEO I was like obviously this is it's gone back a, a few years but I yes. don't know it's, that's obviously a reputation that you've have you earned that or no I know <laughs> I have blue eyes fair enough but it was uh, it, it actually goes back I think 10 years 15 years maybe and there was an interview with uh, one of the journalists from um from Tradewinds, yeah, and uh, he wrote an article about me and about Lawson, and the headline was the guy with the bluest eyes in shipping, <laughs> and that's not in a very male-dominated industry. That's not really what you oh, want no. the journalist to say. So I've got a lot of stick for that. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, you can imagine. That's what I thought when, when I read it. I was just like, "That's a bit. That's a bit cheeky, is it not?" Yeah. I did, I did not read that article before he um, before he posted it. Believe right, me. Right. Okay. Well, don't you've got you've got um, final final cut on this. Don't worry. You can anything you want out. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> uh, oh, that's it's incredible. But so obviously going in as CEO again. When you come into that that position, obviously you head of operations as well. I believe beforehand. What are you trying to? What were you trying to do? Did anything change in terms of your mentality from when you came back from from Hong Kong? I don't mean for personal. I just mean like building the team and allowing the team to do things. Was there anything that had to be really hands on in, or was it was it almost a case of stepping back and stepping back and allowing more and more people to do the same? No, I think um, obviously every time over the years I stepped into a new role, it's always been a little bit of butterflies in my stomach because it was. You wanted to do the best and you wanted to, to show people around you that the decision the company made to to um, to get you into the new role was the right decision. So you didn't want to make any mistakes. Yeah. But I've also seen that I have gotten out of it really well every single time. So when the 
the opportunity came up that uh, in Lauderston we had at that time two um, two business units, gas and dry and, and dry cargo, and I was the head of gas. And uh, the company decided that uh, they wanted to find a new guy for the dry cargo space. And it was at a time where there was a lot of turmoil within the dry cargo industry, but also at our company, we were losing quite a lot of money. And the people working there were not very satisfied. So I sort of saw that as an opportunity because I obviously I worked for the company for many years. I knew a lot of the guys on the dry cargo side. So I said, this might be the next step in my career to step into a new territory, dry cargo, that I never tried before. But again, I knew that the guys working there, they have the knowledge about the market. What I need to do is steer the vessel in the right direction. Yep. And so show them the direction, give them support, and make sure that they um, that they, they have a stable, you can say, um, work environment. Mm. And that was, for me, uh, the next step in my career, I thought. And what were your biggest challenges when you went in there, other than what you're, what you're seeing there? Um, I mean, obviously, I have to be careful not to talk negatively about my company, but I have to admit that I came in at a, at a time where uh, there was a lot of frustration. There was a lot of people that were leaving the company. Um, we were losing a lot of money. Um, and so for me, it was uh, it was a matter of trying to, to rebuild it. And I knew I had the capabilities of doing that because of actually the way I am. Um, and that was the most important thing. And then it, it was not to grow the company. It was to make sure that we, that we stopped the bleeding, that we stopped losing money and start making money again and give the power back to the guys on the desk. And they believed in me, they believed in the, in the direction that we were taking. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then like, when you go beyond that, what, what, like, when you're trying to build, so obviously you're losing a lot of people and you're trying to build your teams. I mean, I was, was wanting, wanting to ask that anyway. So, what what do you look for? What are, what are the key things that you look for when you're bringing bringing people in? To, obviously, within different positions, if you're looking for people, well, I suppose it wouldn't be you that'd be doing it, but if you're looking for people to come in and run teams that you are going to be, are you looking to promote from within, or are you looking to take people in from from other other areas to to spread a bit of positivity or enthusiasm or coming in from profitable companies? What what's your what's your um, it, I mean, I don't think that there's not one size that fits all, but I would say in general terms, I will always look internally first. Right. Um, because there are, in all companies, very, very good guys there. But I would also say that the best chartering guy might not be the best in a leadership role. Yeah. Uh, maybe he's just a specialist that should be exactly where he is, pay him a lot of money because he's very good at it, but don't promote him into a role where you take him further away from what he's very, very good at. So that's always a part of me that just because you're good at something doesn't mean you can take the next step. Uh, but I will always look internally before I look externally. But there might be cases whereby even though you have a good internal candidate, you need to sort of shake things up a bit. And the only way you can shake things up is getting somebody from the outside. If you just promote from the inside all the time, the culture will never change. And sometimes it is important that the culture changes because you have to sort of follow what's happening around you. And you don't do that if you, if you are in your little, you see, your little family all the time. You need to move outside that and also see what's happening out there. So you cannot continue to sort of grow internally. You also have to look external. Mm -hmm. But I think what we, what we achieved um, back then was that I think Lawson is, but was back then even more, a very conservative company. Uh, we didn't hire a lot of foreigners. 
uh, it was more complicated. Uh, what about the culture? What if? And I, I did not really care too much about that. So when I was there, we hired uh, even English. Uh, we hired Germans. We hired the Dutch guys coming in, and also even <laughs> even. Um, and again, I think now we have a much more international environment. And you know what? It has changed the culture a lot. But for it is a lot more fun to work there now. Yeah. Because we get lots of different inputs. They're able to speak their their own language with with the customers, so we get a lot more support from the Italian guy that speaks Italian with Italian clients, than a Danish guy trying to explain it in English. Uh, I, I think we're benefiting a lot from that by being a lot more diverse. Yeah. No. Well. Yeah. That's great to hear as well. And when you obviously when you go forward and not just building teams, there's when. Or even actually, sorry, probably a better question is looking back. It's some, it's an incredible journey. But are there any key decisions that you're that you look back and think are pivotal to 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 the step to to the career itself? Um, no, not really. I think the important part, as I as I mentioned, that I have I have managed to to at least get the uh, the opportunities. And as I said, I've said yes to all of them. Um, and you can say, well, that's easy because you've got the opportunities. Yes, but the, if I look around today, I have a number of people I have given the opportunity, for instance, to, to work at our Singapore office. And a lot of the young guys today, they say no. They, uh, they have to leave their friends or they've got a new girlfriend they would like to stay. And I said, well, that's fine. But I'm not going to hang around asking you in one or two years' time. If you don't want to do it, fine, I fully respect that. But then the chance will go to somebody else. Yeah. And I just think that, uh, and that's not because they're not ambitious. That's just, you can say, other things in their mind right now that is that, that is more important. Maybe I was lucky that time. I didn't have a girlfriend, so I could just go. But I think I would have said yes anyway. Yeah. Because I think if you want to, I think it's important for the young people to, to get outside the home country, to experience yeah. what it's like to be away from friends and family, to live on your own, to live in a different culture, to experience the world in a different way. I think, and I'm sorry, going on vacation or going on interrail for two months, it is just not the same. Yeah. So for me, get out there, and that's why shipping is fantastic. Yeah. There are endless opportunities. Yeah. Maybe not during corona time, but there's endless opportunities. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more with that. We, I would say if you, if you ask myself, if you ask my wife, the best decision we ever made in our life, it was to go and live in Australia and not do the... The typical just going tour, like we worked, we integrated, we we made friends in the country. You, you, I played Aussie rules for God's sake. I'd never played it in my life, but exactly started basically started in defence. So like we'll just keep the foreigner back there. But halfway through the season, I was playing midfield. But yeah, I, I don't I, I don't think anyone. I can't see it being a bad decision to 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 go and and obviously no, just that's why I was asking you. Obviously, do, do you think that your time in Houston and Hong Kong was? helped you change your mentality or whatnot, but yeah. I don't think I would be here today with the job I have now if I hadn't taken uh, the jobs in in uh, in uh, Houston and in Hong Kong. I really don't think so. My salary in Houston was $3,000 a month. Right. And I basically spent my whole childhood savings in two years because I had no money there. Yeah. I mean, all my sort of fixed costs, they were about $3,000. So I had no money to myself. Yeah. So it was definitely not because the money was good. It was simply because of the experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. That's that's is a lesson for for so many. And do you do you within uh, Lawrence and Co. Are you 
are you always looking for young talent to bring in? Are you are you trying to? Is there anything like a, almost like a trainee trainee programs etc. There, yeah. No, we have actually changed uh, our ways a bit. Uh, what we do is that we take trainees in from mostly Copenhagen Business School, right? Uh, which is one of the only you can say um, universities where or business schools where shipping is a big part of it. Right. And that's why we take in people with a. Um, uh, with a, a bit more, you can say, background from shipping than what we have done in the past. But we also take them in as um, as trainees. And we try to take in two, three, four trainees a year. Right. Uh, so they're with us for about, you can say, 15 hours a week. Um, so it's not a lot of work they're able to do, but they get to know the company. They spread the rumors about the company that they get to do this, and it's it's a good environment to be in. So when they finish their uh, their degree, a lot of them are applying for jobs with us because they've already been there. Right, okay. And we and I know that, and I appreciate that a lot, that the people that work uh, for COSAN now, they have to spend a lot of time educating the young guys and, and girls to, to, to get to know the systems and get to know the job they're asked to do. But we can see it comes back tenfold with the number of applications we get from the young guys when they're done. And that, that that makes me quite proud that we're able to give them good education, and they like it that much. They actually want to come back. Mm. So your young talent, this young talent is extremely important. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I had a, an interesting call yesterday with with a, um, a company out in, in Asia, and that's exactly what they were saying. It was just like we need to we need to do more succession plan. We need to be basically thinking thinking ahead and, and bringing in more and more young talent and supporting them and allowing them the space and the time to develop. So as obviously now as, as CEO, when when did, when you found out about it, where were you? Can you remember, was there a moment when you found out, was you in your office? What? How did it come about? Uh, I was fishing. Right. <laughs> in it's like Norway. A, it's like a scene we, from a movie. <laughs> <laughs> we come from earning $3,000 in Houston having no money to fishing in Norway, so... <laughs> Things are not too bad. Uh, no, it was uh, actually uh, during fishing in Norway that my at that time boss uh, asked me whether I wanted to take over the, the uh, take over the company. Was he fishing with you? Or he was fishing. He was fishing with me. We had we had about ten clients with us, and then uh, he decided the time we, the two of us were fishing together to ask me whether I wanted to do it. Well, I think it, it was an easy decision. No, I obviously told them if the money was right, I would consider it. Yeah, yeah. But no, I said yes, of course. <laughs> no, that was the first time that you asked for more money. <laughs> Actually, no, no, I did. Did you catch anything? I did, yes. Good man. It was only, I think, about two kilos. So, but it was, uh, it was enough. Good. The CEO job was bigger. <laughs> yeah, bringing in the rod with your hands. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so obviously, that was 2017. So three years. Well, depending on when it was, how's it been? Have you what's your what's your proudest moments of it so far? Um, I think because the um, the company itself um, has been struggling a bit uh, financially, um, it has been to make sure that uh, we have a very high retention rate of the people working for us, uh, which I'm quite proud of. In you can say in in tough times. Um, but I also think that we have managed to at least uh, improve our bottom line uh, considerably over the last two years. 
which I'm quite proud of. Uh, in tough markets and Corona, believe me, has not helped. Yeah. Uh, that, that we are that we are coming out of it, uh, and we can come out of it with our heads held high. Okay. And in terms of the coronavirus, there, like how how how's that affected everything? Obviously, it's massively affected every part of your operation. But how did you handle it all when when it first came through? Um, we, it, I mean, obviously, we are within uh, my segment heavily dependent on that you and I go and we go out and and we spend money. Uh, we have a world economy that is growing at a decent pace, that the different, you can say, major nations are behaving and actually doing business with each other. And you, we can safely say that that's not the case over the last um, 12 months. So I think the smaller gas side, which we are part of, has been very heavily uh, affected by it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. 2020 has been probably the worst year we've had in 10, 15 years. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's tough. Yeah. It, going forward, is, is it looking better towards the end of the year? or? I think because we have managed to change our ways of doing things, uh, things are looking better. And I think uh, I think we have found um, – sorry, it's just a phone. Phone is ringing. Um, it's the uh, – I think what we have uh, realized is that um, the – Corona pandemic is, yes, it's weather still. We are probably middle through or at least in the beginning of, of what we call the second wave. But I think we have learned to live with it a lot better. There are fewer lockdowns now than you saw first time around. Yeah. Now you're probably almost through the second round of lockdowns. So we believe that 2021 is going to be uh, quite much better or significantly better than what we've seen in 2020. Right, okay, yeah. One of the things that I wanted to obviously kind of brush on for, for yourself is, other than the, the coronavirus, it's been it's been tough. But looking ahead in the industry, um, where do you see or what what are you looking for, for from from your company? What do you think your company needs to, or where do you think Sorry. it needs to get to to? Sorry, Gordon. There was just uh, I couldn't hear. Yeah, sorry, can you hear me now? Yes, I can, sorry. Got it. Yeah, basically just saying, uh, looking forward, obviously, after after hopefully everything, we can we can get past the coronavirus and things, but looking forward, where do you where do you think Lawrence & Cosan needs to get to for, for the future to, to to be successful? I think we, we're yeah. definitely, we're definitely moving into, you can say, bigger ships. Uh, we are still, our biggest ship is about, 10, 12,000 dead weight, which is quite small. Yep. And I believe we need to double the size in terms of the ships that we are running uh, over the next, you can say, three to five years. Right. Simply because the the, uh, the the running cost for smaller ships, the running cost for the ship that we have today is the same as a ship that is twice the size. Yep. And obviously the earning capabilities of a bigger ship is much higher than a small ship. So we need to move into bigger sizes because our industry is – it's heavily regulated. It's all, you can say, controlled by the Shell and the Equinor and the BPs, uh, so the biggest companies in the world. And we are, we are very, very small fish. So, and they have more and more regulations coming in, and that costs us a lot more money. So we need to move up in size, uh, I believe, going forward. Right, okay. And you, is that going to be is that through new building or, or buying secondhand vessels? or? 
I think it's going to be a combination of those, but also preferably with a partner. And that can be with a, an existing uh, owner. It can be with a financial investor. Uh, we don't need to, to grow the company ourselves. We can easily grow it together with somebody else. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, Brown, well, conscious of time, I don't want to obviously take up too much of your time, but there's a few questions that we, we like to kind of put in um, just yeah. at the end. In terms of your influences, who, who do you look to? Who, who's, who do you look to in your life? It could be anyone, I suppose, but is there anyone that you look to and is a real mentor for you? I would say mentors, um, I've learned a lot from the three to four bosses I've had during my career. And I, I cannot, I think all of them have been okay. Um, but I think a combination of the four have been phenomenal. And that, um, so I'm, I'm trying to sort of pinpoint the best things from each. And that's who I'm trying to be. Right. I know that sounds a bit sort of cheesy, but um, I had one boss that was extremely knowledgeable about the market. But he was a real asshole. He was really, really bad to, to his colleagues, to me, but he was very knowledgeable. I had another guy that was, I mean, the best boss you can imagine, but he was, he could not deal with conflicts. So he, was, he would do anything he could to avoid them. So I've sort of tried to take all the, the good points, not the bad points, but all the good points from there, sort of how they uh, mentored me or how they uh, sort of worked with me. And that's the person I'm trying to be. Um, and I try to reach out to people, and I know it's easier said than done, that I like to have criticism, mm -hmm. because then I know that at least I can try and change. It, it's always nice if somebody says, oh, you're doing a fantastic job, but I, I can't really use that for anything. I would rather have people coming up to me saying, what you said there, I disagree with. Fine. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, and I would always appreciate criticism, even though it might be harsh. I'd rather have that than people coming up to me saying you're doing a good job. Yeah, pat in the back, and yes. you, don't, you don't learn. You just no, I don't. A bigger ego, a bigger ego, and it's great for the ego. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And believe me, it's big enough. <laughs> I don't. I think you seem really down to earth. I'm not going to go there. Um, See what Zoom does, huh? Say that again. See what Zoom does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Yep. It makes that light stand out as well. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, is there any external influences or influencers or anything that, that you look to? Is there anything that you can think of? No, I think uh, my wife, obviously, she has been extremely, first of all, supportive, but also it's always been, she's the intelligent part of our relationship. So it's always been good to balance ideas with her on, on many things. Uh, and she's, Pretty good at keeping my uh, uh, keeping my ego down when it sort of gets a little bit too uh, too big. Um, Irish, so that's that's always that's the same as Scots. You're not allowed an ego here, I don't think. No, exactly. And she's got a temper, which you probably <laughs> got a surprise. Um, but no, she she's been a huge influence. Uh, no doubt, in there, no doubt about that. But what I've sort of been trying to establish over the years is to. I have quite a number of friendships in the industry uh, with clients uh, most of the time. And and I'm not saying I get favors from it, but it doesn't hurt. Uh, and, and I'm not friends with them to get sort of a, a better return for our company. I, I seem to just like the guys that, uh, that are out there. Yeah. And I've managed to be on very good footing with um, with a lot of them. Yeah. Do you, well, obviously, that's, that's 
it's not part of the questions, but I just I don't want to miss this one. Obviously, your background in um, the commercial side of it, do you think that's an important thing? Like everything these days is, and we use it within what, what, what you do, the automation, the digital stuff, and it's. Uh, do you think it's still important, or equally, or or even more important now to remember the personal side and build the relationships and not just commercially, but I think it's extremely important. I actually I went on a um, a management course in New York uh, some moons back, and uh, the guy um, asked the question whether it was about power, and he said, "So, what is a leader in today's uh, world? What does he need to have?" So I, the little guy in the background, said, "I think he needs to have empathy." So the general walked over to him and he said, "Listen." Uh, he said, if you believe empathy is a part of a leader today, you are a effing something else. So <laughs> I think it all depends on who you ask what's important. For me, empathy is extremely important. That's also one of the values within our company. Um, and it's, value, it's empathy towards your customers, it's empathy towards the crew members that we are sort of struggling to get back, yeah. but also towards customers. Um, it's it is a very sort of important part uh, for me, and I do believe that I I do spread empathy when I am uh, when I'm speaking and when I'm also dealing with people. Brilliant, yeah, that's that's nice to hear. Um, last question then before before I let you let you go on and get your dinner. Um, can you watch what's the first memory you've got within with within shipping? So it might be from from your childhood or whatnot, or going on your first vessel. Is there anything that, any stories that spring to mind? There's probably two stories. One, which was a massive embarrassment, sitting in an office with 50 other people, and it was fairly quiet, and I was on the phone, one of the first phone calls as a trainee, speaking to one of the brokers in, the, in London, and uh, he said, uh, um, so how's the weather? As you do. Yeah. And I said, it's, it's beautiful. There is no sky. I'm, I'm in clouds. So <laughs> the whole office was sort of, yeah, but other than that, I had to, within my first year, I had an experience of joining a ship down in the Kila Canal right. that was uh, going to Finland for loading. And while we went through the Baltic Sea, uh, it ended up being minus 42 degrees. So obviously we were sitting in the middle of the ice. We couldn't move. We were waiting for an icebreaker. Uh, we can go out within nothing, within 10, 15 minutes. The whole sort of area, both in front or behind the ship, was completely iced over. And for me, that moment where we were sitting there, you can see the inside of the ship was starting to was starting to freeze. You can go outside. You can see the ship from the outside walking on the ice, and it was just there was just it was dead silent. For me, that's one of the greatest moments I've ever experienced. Oh wow! All right, okay. Were you scared? Was it? Did you feel? Not at all. No, 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 you had you had the whole crew around you that was very experienced, and since they were just saying this is just a normal day for us, I was I was very relaxed. Yeah, yeah. I think it's incredible to think of some of the situations, and you forget, and then you see. Obviously, it's easy for me to forget just doing what I do, but you see some of the guys posting videos, or some some people send me videos. I actually, get a this guy. He's an ETO, and he'd, he'd sent me a picture of a. He's on one of the the. Um, the Yamal vessels. So he sent me a picture, obviously, way, way up north. It's just incredible. It's like, I can't, can't believe that that 
no, no, that's, that's happening right now, you know, and obviously you see the swell, and it's like an incredible industry. But yeah, as, as it it's, Thomas, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really, really yeah. appreciate you making the time and, and coming on. Of course. Uh, but yeah, thanks again. And if anyone, obviously, if we've got anyone that's listening and wants to get in touch or wants to do business with with uh, Lots and Cosan, what, what would you say is the, the best way to go? Uh, either, I mean, I would say shoot me an email. Um, you have my email, Gordon. Uh, that's more than fine by me. Um, I will happily listen to any, uh, if somebody wants to apply for a job or somebody wants to hear a bit more about uh, the company or anything, feel free. Okay, perfect. Good man. Well, great. Thanks again, Thomas. Thank you, Gordon. Speak to you soon. Indeed. Take care. Yes.